and welcome to the Music History Podcast. I don't remember what our name is. <laughs> My name is Mika, and I will be your host this evening. And I'm joined by Nick, who has no idea what the story will be about. You just stole the dollop. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> and Mika is the host now, <laughs> and I would like to plug. Oh, you're just getting right into it. The dollop. I had a theory it's of what American you were going to plug. History podcast that is a bicycle. <laughs> this is not it's usable. American History podcast that's a bicycle. <laughs> they always joke it's a bi. It's a bicycle. It's bi-weekly. It's a bicycle yeah. American History podcast. It's a. Bi- it used to be bi-weekly, and then they stopped doing bi-weekly, so they is had to. Is that why? Yep. So they had to just throw a different. Because that was like their That's thing hilarious. is like this is a bi-weekly American history podcast. But like once they stopped being bi-weekly, they were like just started throwing in random bi words instead. That's hilarious. They might be back to bi-weekly. I don't know. But they weren't for a while. Cool. <laughs> I would like to plug <laughs> Sunburnt. The oh, aloe right. that is more than aloe. I didn't believe in it for the longest time, even though I've used it multiple, <laughs> multiple times. I'm always like, my aloe is just fine. It is a product that my best friend discovered after she burned the crap out of the children she was nannying. And she had to search Walgreens for the best thing to make the sunburn go away fast to not kill the children. Particularly one very fair child. <laughs> and then she found sunburnt. And then she said, Mika, you should use sunburnt because you are the equivalent of a very fair child. And I liked it, but I kept using the cheap stuff. And then when the UV index of 11 destroyed me this last weekend in West Palm Beach, I used it and it made my face sunburn go away. But my body sunburn is still very bad. And that's because. I wasn't a believer, and I am now. Okay. People who have never listened to this <laughs> podcast are going to be so confused about what's happening right now. <laughs> Back to you, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this is the sound of history since Mika forgot the actual name of our real show. Follow us on Twitter. <laughs> And this is a music history podcast where I try and teach music history to Mika. And I just hijack the whole darn yes. thing. We have a show within a show called, very creatively, Mika is the host now, where she just gets to talk about whatever she wants. And that was it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I was I had this whole plan. I was going to come in and like apologize for the fact that we've been a little MIA for the past <laughs> like, little bit. And then you just... <laughs> did that yep (laughs) you just mutinied and took over the whole show (laughs) but yeah we were late i think we were late like last where we had to skip a week and then we were on time on a thursday and then seeing as we're recording this on the thursday night when it was supposed to go up this morning yeah we're a little behind we have an excuse because we were on vacation which was really nice and we've able to take a vacation and then i was at work and work was the worst yes We've also been a little bit MIA on, like, Twitter and social medias and stuff, too. Like, I haven't really been posting all that much. And that's just a combination of being, like, on vacation and 
busy with life stuff. Life. And being a little bit sick of social media. So I took it off my phone, so now I don't have access to it readily oh, available. That's going to be and an interesting. Like working aspect. on other projects, which sounds weird for me to say since I'm not like a... You can have projects. I'm like a professional business person. It feels weird to be like, I've been working on other projects right now, but that's I mean, it's true. <laughs> you're a creative who's been working on other creative endeavors. So that's where we're at. That's why we've been a little MIA, but Look hopefully... At that cat. Look at that cat. <laughs> he was looking around the fridge. This is the theme of this episode. I will talk over you and totally okay, talk about nothing important. Great one to edit. Just <laughs> leave it all in. What are you talking about? Okay, so this, I'm going to teach you music history now. This are you is ready? The unedited version. Oh, no, we can't do that. No, you can. <laughs> this is, oh wait, we ready for the actual show now. Mika's no longer the host. We're getting into it. That's what you think. Okay, so it's been a while. What's the last thing you remember that we talked about? I don't know. <laughs> you were, it I was an episode we did when you were very tired and not into it at all. I think you can't edit out this silence because this is the unedited version. <laughs> That's like most of <laughs> the editing is just cutting out. Cutting out when I like am trying <laughs> to make a sentence and I can't. Try and remember what <laughs> I have told you. It's country, but not country. Yeah, it's folk. Yep. That's what we talked about. Yep, that's what I said. Do country, <laughs> but not country. So is that your recap of the episode? Yep. <laughs> Do you remember anything else from it? Nope. Remember protest songs? Oh, yeah. Remember the Bristol sessions we talked about a little bit? No. That's where they, well, we'll talk about it. Do you remember Fiddlin' John Carson from Atlanta? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, this week, we're going to focus in on one group that straddles the line between folk and country music, which they all kind of do. Since country, but not country. Yes, exactly. They are one of the most influential groups in country music and did a lot to develop that style, but their roots in early music was all folk. Is it Dixie Chicks? It's not Dixie Chicks. Okay. It's probably about 100 years before Dixie Chicks. Dixie Eggs. Are you proud of that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you sure you want this to be the unedited episode? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are other people to talk about when we get into country music, but we have to talk about the Carter family. So we're talking about them here. Have you ever heard of the Carter family? Yes. I'm guessing you know nothing about them. No. I'll get. There's three of them. So how do you think they're related? I think that they're sisters and they're alternative names. Dixie Chicks. <laughs> the Dixie Eggs? <laughs> no. Two of them are sisters. They were the first to do the kind of vocal harmonies that became very popular in music after them. That's genuinely the best part of country music. Yes. It's not even really a country music thing anymore. Yeah. It's like a folk thing. <laughs> <laughs> they were also the first to do a style of guitar playing that came to be known as Carter Picking and would be the dominant style of play in country music for decades after them. And it still kind of is. That's really cool. Bluegrass music might not have existed without the influence of the Carter family. Country music would look a lot different, and folk music might not have been as massive as it was at the time. 
One of my favorite kiddos at work loves bluegrass music, well, even though she's a baby. You can talk to the baby about the Carter family. I can't wait to teach her. On December 15th, 1891, A.P. Carter. What's your a. guess P. about what Carter. A.P. stands for? 877 Cash Now. <laughs> what do you think A.P. stands for? I don't think you're going to get it. Advanced Placement. No, it's a name. Well, one of them's a name. Albert. Close. Pinocchio. <laughs> it's Alvin Pleasant. I like that better. Alvin Pleasant Delaney Carter. That's a great name. Was born in the Clinch Mountains of Virginia. First started playing the fiddle as a child and learned a few of the common folk songs from his mother. His father actually played the violin when he was a younger man, but gave it up when he got married. I don't know why, but... Because the violin is the most obnoxious instrument. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) What's worse? Probably the trombone. Anything louder. Violin is so, like, high-pitched. Yeah, I guess. So AP was the first of four children, and he grew up around music. Apparently, his mother sang a lot of ballads, and his father sang a lot of gospel music. AP suffered from slight palsy, which his mother claimed was due to lightning that struck near her a few months before he was born. Well, that's BS. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably not medically sound, but oh well, I'm going to go with it because I like it. (laughs) Okay, that makes one of us. All through his childhood and into his teens, A.P. would sing in a quartet with his two uncles and a sister for church. He also played a lot of the fiddle for his church. Around the age of 20, A.P. moved to Indiana for a railroad job. This is where he first started to write and compose songs. Apparently, he was just so homesick for Virginia, he thought writing and creating songs based on Virginia and what he loved about it would help ease that homesickness. I guess it didn't work because he moved back to Virginia after about a year and tried his hand at selling fruit trees. That sounds very lucrative. Mm -hmm. It was on a sales trip to the other side of the Clinch Mountains that he heard a young woman named Sarah Doherty. Doherty. Doherty? I think it might be Doherty because no one says it like Ryan. Doherty? I think, I mean, Irish people might. Okay, so Sarah Doherty played the auto harp and singing. So he heard her playing and singing. Sarah was born on the north side of the Clinch Mountains of Virginia in 1899 or 1898. No one really knows. I don't know what happened to her father, but her mother died in 1901, so Sarah and her sister went to live with an aunt and uncle. As a kid, some of her neighbors owned an auto harp, and Sarah decided she wanted one of her own. What's in an auto harp? I knew you were going to ask this, and I, I looked it, it up when I wrote this episode, buttons. and that was so long ago that I forgot. I think it has buttons, well, like straight up. up. I think that I played this in elementary school, but... We got this fancy Google machine here. It does have, it looks like a little bit of buttons. I think it has buttons. The auto harp is a m- musical instrument in the corded zither family. Zither family? I don't know. It features one. a series of chord bars attached to dampers, which when pressed, mute all of the strings other than those that form the desired chord. This is what it looks like. Yeah, I didn't play that. Did you play the accordion? <laughs> it has buttons. No. <laughs> <laughs> However, oh, no, never mind. I was going to say that Mama Linda has one of those, but I think that that's different. Okay. So anyway, some of Sarah's neighbors had an auto harp, and Sarah really wanted one of her own. So she made money selling greeting cards and saved up enough to buy one from a Sears catalog. 
that's the precursor to Etsy. Yeah. The auto harp was a really simple instrument to play, but it also required songs to be written in a really simple form. It couldn't handle complex arrangements, so any songs written for the auto harp had to be super simple, which helped the Carter family develop the simple melody that kind of made them famous. Eventually, Sarah learned to accompany herself on guitar and banjo as well, but it was always her strong voice that drew the most attention. When AP first heard her, the legends say she was singing a song song called Engine 143 and sitting on a porch. Sexy. Yeah, but no one can really verify that, but we'll go with the legends. At first, Sarah said that she didn't like AP, but somehow he won her over and convinced her to marry him. It's like us. Is is it? No. (laughs) (laughs) So in 1915, the two got married a few months before Sarah's 17th birthday. Just like us. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want that to be out there. The two would settle in Mesas Spring, Virginia. M-A-C-E-S Spring. I don't know. Mesas. Sure. There you go. West Virginia. It's not West Virginia. Country road. Take (laughs) the home. Oh, no. West Virginia. So while they were living there. In Mesas. Yes, Mesa Spring. Mesa. <laughs> AP worked several different jobs. The couple would play and sing together locally, playing at parties, social gatherings, and churches for the next 11 years. Kind of a long time to just be like playing at random get-togethers for your friends and family. Well, they're just doing it for fun. Sure. Because they like singing together. If you're married, your voices harmonize better. It's Do science. They? Is it really? Yeah. Okay. You don't know. (laughs) (laughs) During that time, they auditioned for Brunswick Records. Brunswick was only willing to sign AP if he recorded under the name Fiddlin' Doc and played popular dance songs. (laughs) That is way worse. (laughs) So AP refused because he thought that kind of music and image was against his parents' religious beliefs. Interesting. He didn't want them knowing he was playing dance songs. Yep. In the Fiddlin' Doc. (laughs) They had three children during this time and made ends meet primarily through blacksmithing, carpentry, nursery sales, and logging. What is nursery sales? Just like they selling, selling children? No, like selling children, like bassinets and stuff like that. I guess I'm, Are I don't you know. sure? Nope. Have you ever heard the term nursery I sale before? <laughs> so it might be selling I'm infants. I'm guessing they're not selling children. <laughs> right, because they're there's morally against dance songs, so they're probably enough, not selling there's children. There's enough children to go around these areas at this time. They didn't know about birth control. What it do was you just mean at like this time? There's enough children to be going around every area forever. True. AP was always restless and would frequently be away from home. I don't really know what he was doing. Probably work. I thought he liked Tobe. He likes Virginia, but he likes to like travel around too. He got restless a lot. A little bit of wanderlust in him. Uh-huh. He, so he might have been doing work, might have been just hanging out in other places. <laughs> but Sarah, when she was growing up, had two younger cousins who also loved music and would often play with her. Maybell and Madge Addington. I feel like one of them got the better end of the stick when it comes to names with that one. Listen, Madge used to be really classy. That's the one I thought got the better end of the stick. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Maybell grew up singing with Madge and Sarah in Virginia. She also learned to play the auto harp and the banjo, but at age 13, she got her hands on a guitar, and that changed her musical journey. At this time, guitars were just starting to make their way into the community, so there wasn't really anyone around to, like, teach her how to play it. 
So she taught herself. And it she, like the way she taught herself was a pretty unique way of playing. Picking. Yep, where she could play the melody and strum at the same time. So by this point, Sarah had married AP and moved to the other side of the Clinch Mountains, like by the time that mm-hmm. Maybell was learning this picking way. In 1926, Maybell married Ezra Carter, who happened to be AP's younger brother. Keeping it in the family. <laughs> and the couple moved to the other side of the Clinch Mountains, where AP and Sarah lived. We're just missing one. Are we? Yeah. Good old Madge. Madge isn't going to be in the band. No. We don't. We don't hear about Madge after this. No. <laughs> but Madge. The band is Maybell, Sarah, and AP. That's the Carter family band. But Madge. <laughs> isn't there another brother for her to marry or something? Probably. So in 1926, they moved all over to the side of the Clinch Mountains where AP and Sarah lived. Maybell was invited into the band, and the group became a trio, playing mostly schools, churches, and parties. So the same kind of stuff. So could Ezra just, like, not sing? Probably not, no. Or didn't care about it at all. Maybell's guitar was the lead instrument, accompanied by Sarah on guitar or auto harp. They played songs that they collected from the community, sacred or religious, didn't, wait, secular or religious, didn't really matter. They played it all. Did they play sacred songs too? (laughs) I guess that's the religious ones. (laughs) For the rest of that year, they started to audition for record players with like varying degrees of regularity. Like they would kind of fade in and out. In 1927, the Carters got word that Ralph Peer, who we talked about last episode, but you completely forgot. I have no clue who that is. Was auditioning musicians in Bristol. Oh my goodness, it's such a big deal. For the Victor Talking Machine Company. He was the talent scout who they sent to Atlanta, who set up like a little temporary recording studio and recorded country music for the first time. Okay. He did that in Atlanta. He recorded Fiddlin' John Carson. And then he did it in Bristol, and that's known as the birth of country music, was the Bristol Sessions. AP had to beg Ezra, Maybell's wife, to let her go record with them. Maybell had a wife. Very progressive of her. Oh, Maybell's husband. Maybell and Ezra. Country lesbians. So AP, <laughs> AP had to beg Ezra to let Maybell go so they could record. AP offered to weed a patch of corn for Ezra if he let her travel. Wow. Just bargaining all over the place. It's a big deal. It was a tough trip down to Bristol in a rented car, and Maybell was seven months pregnant. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but they made it, and they recorded with Ralph Peer. They impressed him so much, particularly Sarah's singing, that they would record over 100 records for Victor in the next several years. I'm really pumped to hear them. Ralph also loved the extensive collection of songs that AP had gathered over the years, and he offered to publish them under his new company, if AP would claim authorship of them. That sounds illegal. Well, eh, there's not a very intense copyright system at this point. That sounds immoral. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, but at that like at the Bristol sessions they recorded six different tracks. Victor released several of those recordings as singles and when they sold really well, they offered the Carter family a contract in 1928. The Carter family didn't know the songs would be successful. They received a check for the recording and went back to their daily lives, not really paying attention. Apparently, a little while later, AP got a call from a local record store that the Carter family records kept selling out. 
AP didn't even know they had been released. It seems like they should be getting some money. Here, well, they got they were paid like a lump sum for recording, and then at that point, it was like Victor owned everything, so <laughs> they're not going to get any money for anything. Yikes! Here's one of the recordings they did called "The Wandering Boy." You ready to hear the Carter family for the first time? I'm really excited. It's probably not the first time. I don't know who these other people are. That's AP in the middle there. That's Sarah with the auto harp. And that's Maybell with the guitar. Don't know who the people on the end are. (laughs) Ezra. style so i don't know if you're gonna like most of their stuff but i want to hear the harmonies well yeah i don't know if there's that many harmonies you said that that was like yeah that's true i don't i don't know what songs i picked so but keep in mind also for those recordings like this was back when it was super hard to record so the idea of being able to travel and set up a temporary recording station was like unheard of. Like this was very new technology, so it wasn't the best. These sessions are known as the Bristol Sessions, and they are widely recognized as the start of country music. AP became hard-pressed to keep up with the demand for new music. He started to go on song-hunting trips with an African-American friend who lived with them (laughs) named Leslie Riddle because Leslie had a talent for remembering melodies. That's really cool. Well, is it? Because they would just go to these communities and be like, like that song, I'm stealing it and I'm profiting on it. Oh, I thought they were <laughs> just going out into the wild. Well, and I mean, like yeah, they are. Songs. Oh, no, no, no. Like they're going to cities to hear these like folk musics, that, these folk songs that have like grown up in these communities and just taking those. It sounded and like, like changing them and trip. putting their own spin on it. And Songwriting camping trip. Okay. Well, I'll let you think that. That's fine. AP would take these songs he heard from friends, family, and the community, adapt them into the Carter family style, and then record them for Victor. So they were adapted. Yeah. I'm not really defending it. It's it's fine. This he also did write some of his own songs during that time. By the end of 1930, the Carter family had sold over 300,000 records, which is a lot for that time. Over the next seven years, the group recorded exclusively for Victor, including some of their most famous songs. They released a song called Keep on the Sunny Side, which became their signature song. And it's one you might have actually heard. Here's Keep on the Sunny Side. That is just down the trouble side of life. Who's all of There's a bright no, down the sunny down. side too. This guy's a little So we meet with a darkness and That's what I'm waiting on. on I'm gonna gotta give credit to Ralph 
They're like, think about what's getting popular at this time. Like jazz and big band stuff. And he goes to Bristol and he hears this and he's like, oh yeah, that'll work. Like, who would have thought hearing this for the first time that it's like, yeah, people will want to buy this record. It worked. But like, you have no way to know that. Alright, we got more songs to get through, so I'll stop that one there. That was that became their signature song because it got very popular. Even though they were a nationally known music group, the Great Depression hit them hard. They couldn't afford to travel and play shows, so they mostly played schools around Virginia. In the early 1930s, they all had a really hard time with money and had to find jobs to make it by. AP moved to Detroit to find work, and Maybell and her husband moved to Washington, D.C. Her wife, Ezra. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine that? Like, being nationally famous musicians, and then you have to get a day job. It's crazy. Adding to the stress of the Great Depression and their financial worries, Sarah and AP's marriage began to fray. No. They separated in 1933 and the family only ever saw each other at recording sessions. That's awkward. Yeah. There was a lot of tension behind the scenes between AP and Sarah, which, you know, obviously. Sarah felt really neglected because AP kept leaving her and going on these song-hunting trips with Leslie. Eventually, Sarah fell in love and would marry AP's cousin. Keeping it in the family. <laughs> Which was the event that finally brought about their divorce after a very long separation. Oh, so she married another man and then they got divorced. Yes. Well, sh they probably had to get divorced so she could marry this other man. I'd like to think that they got married first. And then she was like, <laughs> hey. Sure. Divorce we'll papers. Regardless of their marital issues, they continued to perform together as the Carter family. In 1935... The Carter family left Victor for a company called ARC, where they spent a year basically re-recording their biggest Victor hits. Then a year later, they signed to Decca, which is <laughs> stuff I know you don't care about. But <laughs> It's kind of silly that yeah. they just re-recorded yep. stuff. And then just left. made a bunch of money for ARC by re-recording stuff and then left to Decca, which was one of the other biggest labels at the time. In 1938, the family got a radio contract at a station on the Mexican border called XERF. X E R F. Oh, you've heard of it? <laughs> so you're familiar. The station yeah. had the ability to broadcast their radio shows much more broadly than a lot of the other stations. So the Carter family could be heard all over the U.S. from this one radio station. It's pretty impressive. You can't really broadcast mm -hmm. most radio stations to the whole, yeah. whole country. This made their popularity rise, and their Decca recordings were huge hits. Here is one of the songs from that time period called Are You Lonesome Tonight? Are You Lonesome Tonight? Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me? I say, are you sorry we drifted apart? Yeah. Very bad. Yeah, he's goofy Does your memory is cling to that bright summer day when I kissed you and called you sweetheart? Also had palsy. Remember that. Like the rose on the vine, I am clinging to you. As I did when we drifted She's apart. beautiful. I am wishing you back to that Sarah. little shack where I kissed you and called you sweetheart. 
also through this time I didn't really bother including it but like they had other family members come in and join in for some sessions and stuff so that's like, it's not just the three that's why you hear another male voice in here like they had other people filter through the band at a few points I just wanted to focus on the main three I think that's the same beautiful lady but she looks like a very grumpy Does man See, like, he looks goofy but normal when his mouth is closed. If he's smiling and you can see his teeth, you're like, ooh. And I think that picture was colored when it wasn't taken as a color photograph. So he had, like, weird blush on him and stuff. That's Are You Lonesome Tonight. Who's the babe? One of their babies, I don't know. It was during this period that AP and Sarah's marriage completely fell apart and they divorced in 1939. We already talked about that. Because she married someone else. Nevertheless, they stayed in Texas playing their radio show until 1941 when they moved to a radio station in North Carolina. I don't know if I'll, if I cover this later, but they basically moved because of like AP's health. Like it wasn't, the dry air of Texas wasn't really doing them any favors. They occupied the sunrise slot and their show was broadcasted at around 5.15 in the morning. They briefly signed with Columbia Records before rejoining Victor in 1941. Two years later, in 1943, Sarah decided to retire from music. Oh, no! (laughs) She moved with her new husband, AP's cousin, to California. I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) This was the official end of the original Carter family when Sarah retired and moved to California. AP, at this time, also retired from the music business and moved back to Mesa Spring, Virginia. Mesa? <laughs> with his children, where he opened a general store. Even though he was out of the business, AP still played music. He set up a little stage on his property and would perform shows for the community. That's, like, really adorable. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, like, oh, hey, AP, I need some milk. <laughs> well, that's a mighty nice song that you're playing there. <laughs> like, that's just wild. Yeah. He called it The Park, and very few people came out to watch him perform. That's so sad. <laughs> but he was he was on a mission to bring the music back to his community where it originated. Like, apparently, people had stopped playing it around his community, and he's like, well, no, like we need this here. So he was trying to get people reinterested in this kind of music. He told his middle daughter, before he died, to find some way to carry on the music. So she cleared out a room in the store and started to have concerts every Saturday that were immediately and tremendously popular. They it just took a pretty girl doing yeah, it. Yeah, and like regularity. Like he probably just did it randomly and she's like, no, it's going to happen every this point. <sighs> so these shows that his daughter started were so popular that they had to make more room to accommodate the people who came out to watch. In 1952, a Kentucky preacher convinced Sarah to reunite the Carter family for his new record label, Acme. So, Sarah and AP reunited to record 58 songs with their children, Jeanette and Joe. That's pretty cute. Their recordings didn't really go anywhere since early rock and roll was kind of taking over the world at this point. So no one really cared about the Carter family anymore, outside of the country music circles. But here's one of the recordings from that time. The kids were probably like, <sighs> "Yeah, Mom, this music is so lame." Number one, forty-three. You remember? This is the song Sarah was supposedly singing when he first heard it. 
also, this is without Mabel, so it's not the original Carter family. It's just Sarah and E.P. reuniting. I don't know if all three of them ever reunited again. Sarah and Mabel would do stuff, but I don't think all three of them ever did When the other two had retired, Maybell continued with the Carter family name. She started her own country group with her daughters, Helen, Anita, and June. Heck yes. They were known as Mother Maybell and the Carter Sisters. That's adorable. Yep. They mostly played radio shows and worked their way up to a program at the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, that's where we are. <laughs> Maybell and her husband had almost sole control of the group. Maybell managed the music and creative side while Ezra handled the business side of the group and of the daughter's solo careers until they got married and then kind of ditched And him. then the husbands are in control of the yeah, ladies. Yeah, sure. In 1960, A.P. Carter finally succumbed to a heart attack after a year of steady health decline. His death went almost completely unnoticed. <laughs> but within a decade, there would be a huge resurgence in Carter family music that he completely missed out on due to labels reissuing their records. So if he had made it just a little bit longer, he would have been massively popular again. Maybell, as the 60s began, found her style out of favor and her children focused on their own families and musical projects. So she took a job as a nurse, caring for the elderly. That's right, girlfriend. While still performing at the Opry on the weekends. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Maybell's really cool. I, I love, love Maybell. Maybell. <laughs> uh, the reissues that happened after AP's death brought new attention to the Carter family, and they're now called folk music, and Maybell started demonstrating her playing style again. So she started to get a little bit more of an audience. Her career was reignited in the early 60s when her family started touring and performing with a longtime Carter family fan, Johnny Cash. That is so cool. <laughs> they played regularly on his shows and eventually a TV network show as the backing band, and they had their own little set that he would let them play. But feeling the pain of arthritis in her fingers, Maybell let her daughter play lead guitar while she played the auto harp. Here they are playing together in the early 60s. I think this is on Johnny Cash's show. When they crucified my Lord. Were you there when Don't they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Were you there <laughs> when they song. nailed him to the cross? 
Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? You can pick up. Johnny Cash would propose to and marry one of Maybell's daughters, June Carter. They would stay married until June died in 2003, shortly before Johnny Cash died. So Johnny Cash was a member of the Carter family. What? You have a weird look on your face. Just thinking about the circle of life and <laughs> how history just pieces together. Yep. At this point, Maybell even convinced Sarah to come out of retirement. They played at a few folk festivals and even recorded an album together. They were both together to accept their induction to the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1970. That's so cool. They were the very first group to ever be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Here is their last performance together, as far as I can tell, in 1975 at some Festival. The two prettiest, the two most wonderful women in the world. That's... My mother and my aunt Maybell. So adorable. I think a few people are there. What <laughs> historic We're going to try to do one of the old songs we recorded in a historical reunion called uh, This is Gathering Up the Shells from the Seashore. Shortly before her husband's death in 1975, Maybell retired from music and moved to Florida, despite many people telling her not to. That is generally how it goes. I, it wasn't the Florida issue. People just didn't want her to retire. They were like, no, you're too good. You're too important. Like, Keep doing stuff. And she's like, nah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to go sit on the beach. Her daughters and Johnny Cash all wanted her to keep playing. She spent her last few years gambling, playing bingo, and hanging out with friends in Florida. Heck yeah, lady. <laughs> Maybell's awesome. I love Maybell. Unlike AP, her death was widely noted and mourned. Shortly after Maybell died, Sarah was hospitalized for circulatory and respiratory problems. She would pass away only a few months after Maybell in 1979. The family's biggest contribution to music was their huge repertoire of songs. Their songs have been widely covered by everyone in bluegrass and country music. But Maybell's guitar playing was also one of the most influential styles of guitar playing in the history of country music. 
she would use I'm gonna try and explain it here. I don't do you do you have any idea what I'm talking about by yeah. like the, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm gonna try and explain it for people. Okay. I think I have an example of it coming up. Okay. So she would use her thumb with a thumb pick and two fingers to like pluck at the strings. This allowed her to play the melody on the lower strings and the rhythm line on the higher strings at the same time. So she would alternate between plucking the bass line and then strumming the melody. This was a huge advancement. It's now thought that she might have learned that style from Leslie Riddle, who is the guy that AP took along on his song hunting trips, or she could have just learned it on her own in isolation. No one really knows. Before the Carter family recordings, the guitar was pretty much never used as the lead instrument for white musicians. Now, you'd be hard-pressed to find a country music artist that doesn't primarily use the guitar in their songs. With teardrops on it. <laughs> yes. So here's an example I found of someone like teaching you how to play Carter picking. So Maybell was better than this because this guy's taking it slow to teach you like she was going fast all right yeah everyone gets it at this point i think the carter family is known as the first family of country music they are in the country music hall of fame the bluegrass hall of fame the grammy hall of fame and they have a grammy lifetime achievement award Several of their houses, AP's store, and their church are now listed as historic sites. They're a big deal. It's <laughs> really cool. Most recently, there was a huge explosion of interest in one of the Carter family's songs in 2012. I'm going to play you the song. Let's see if you recognize it. I'm sure you will. I'm sure I'm not going to show my you. Guitar, isn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> the video is now unavailable. No. I got to find it now. Hold on. This is it. Wondering if like when I'm gone, 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 when i am somehow pitch yeah. yep. like I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I didn't bother writing down so I forgot most of it no. but like you can just look up Cup's song I just thought it was very interesting people will probably be like I don't know what Todd is yeah you probably know <laughs> a little bit of their stuff Actually, apparently it was usually performed by them a cappella with a cup used to provide percussion. That is so cool! According to this Wikipedia article. It was first... Actually, no, sorry. It was first performed this way in a YouTube video by Louisa Gerstein and Heloise Tunstall Behrens 
as wow. Lulu and the Lampshades in 2009. I need to watch that video. It was under the title, You're Gonna Miss Me. Okay, and that's what we're, we're going <laughs> to play next. But then, yeah, in 2012, Anna Kendrick performed it. It became the official song of the CONCACAF Gold Cup tournament. Whatever. It became the official song of what? A soccer tournament for some reason. I'm really kind of disappointed that the writers of Pitch Perfect didn't just, like, really love the Carter family and turn it into this. That hair. Lulu and the Lampshades. All right. Well, that's the Carter family. All around, super innovative, super important, cool people. I really like Maybell. She was awesome. Maybell's the bomb. What do you think ab- about the Carter family? I really enjoyed that story. Okay. I thought you would, even if you didn't really like the music. I thought it would be an I interesting like enough music. story for you to. The next one's pretty cool, too. Cool. Next, we're going to talk about country music next because it's fitting to just go right into country. <laughs> and then we talk about Jimmy Rogers, and I really liked his story. His story was pretty cool, too. Okay. All right. So hopefully we'll have an episode up next week. If not, just follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash sound of history underscore, and then we'll let you know if we're going to be late or not. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Right down a sunny side to